Welcome this morning as you join us at Calvary Chapel Valdosta. Pastor Deshaun Van Cleve will resume delivering the word from the book of 1 Corinthians. Let us focus in to what the Lord has to show us. You turn over with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll begin this morning our study as we continue our journey through the book of Corinthians, the first epistle, the first letter, as we are trying to discover how to reach full potential as a Christian in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, we're going to be studying this morning uh, from verse 1 down to verse 23. I really tried. I tried to chop up the chapter and I, and I could have, but I wanted to keep the thought rolling with the thought here. And so far, for the first couple of chapters, uh, the apostle is trying to make a case for that which is causing a disturbance in the church. And speaking specifically on division. And so he's looking at it from different facets, trying to show the Corinthians from different perspectives. And so chapter 3 is also a part of that, that, uh, that message uh, from the writer and ultimately from the Holy Spirit. So I wanted to keep that together. and So we'll look through the entire chapter uh, today. So if you would stand with me, we'll give honor to God's Word together. And uh, we're going to read down from verse 1 down to 23. And I'll try to uh, put some pep in my step as we read that. Uh, so we're not here uh, for 30 minutes just reading the text. It says in verse 1, And I, brothers, could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal, even as to babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but God that gives the increase. Now, he that plants and he that waters are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. For no other foundation can a man lay than that which is laid then that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon his foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any, man, and if any man's work abides, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, 
he shall suffer loss, for he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Do you not know that the temple, that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he takes the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. And Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Your word is a holy word. It is a word that is not like any other words in this world today. And so, Lord, we want to give attention to your word this morning. We want to give it its proper place in our hearts, in our lives. So we pray that you would meet us here and that you would touch us and illuminate our understanding, that we could cherish your word, that we could highly esteem and value your word. And Lord, please help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That's our interest this morning, Lord, because we know that it blesses your heart. And this is what we ask in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, listen. With time always comes expectation. With investment always comes return. Or at least we hope so. And when you plant things... You're always looking for fruit to come. As we have been journeying through the book of Corinthians, we've only hit two chapters so far. Now here in the third chapter, we, we kind of deal with this issue of fruit, this issue of growth. The apostle, the one that God used to pen the words, ultimately it was this Holy Spirit who is the author of the words, has a great concern because he has spent quality time with the Corinthians. Yet, something was growing awry in these people. They weren't growing like they were supposed to, like they should have. There were some things that were plaguing them, like a disease. And like any person that invests time, any person that is investing their effort and going all out, you always want to see a return. You hope that it would grow according to the way that you poured into it, properly, accurately, and correctly. But there obviously were some barriers here. Now I think a good way to illustrate the feelings of the apostle as he is writing to the Corinthians would be to take a journey back into the Old Testament and see this picture found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5. It is a very vivid image. Of how 
a person that pours themselves out into a particular thing expects fruit, expects growth to come from that thing. It says here in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered up the stones of it and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked, that's that expectation there, he looked, expected that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. This passage right here, these verses, verse uh, 1 through 2, uh, illustrates how the Lord here is pouring himself out into Israel. That is the subject. And he did everything that was possible, everything that was necessary, that growth could occur. Strong growth. Large growth. He fenced it. He took the rocks out. No stones in there to kind of stop the roots from growing deep. He even put a tower just to watch out in case there are some animals that are trying to come in and tear up the vines. He even used the best, the best vine, the best plant. He dug it all around. He even built a wine press in it so that the, those grapes could be pressed out right there. That way they don't have to travel a long way and those grapes go sour over time. Everything can be handled right there. And it said that he did all these things, yet it still brought forth wild grapes. Notice in verse 3 and 4 of Isaiah 5, he says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I looked or when I expected that it should bring forth grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Why? What was the problem? Well, the problem wasn't with God, that's for sure. He did everything that was necessary, provided everything that was necessary. The problem, no doubt, was with the, the grapes themselves. They didn't desire the things that God was doing. And this is kind of where we are with the Corinthians and Paul. He had spent a year and six months in Corinth. That's according to Acts chapter 18. And spending that time in Corinth, he had shared the word of God clearly and completely with these so that they would have the choices vine. They would have everything that was necessary to grow. And in fact, you could tell that they were very gifted. It, it tells us in chapter 1, verse 5, that in everything they were enriched by the Lord. In all utterance and in all knowledge, they had been blessed beyond measure. Yet, there were still some things that were barriers and that were surfacing in their lives as barriers to their growth. It was hindering their growth. One of the main things 
that they needed to overcome was division. This is what we pointed out, the four D's for the entire book. Division, depravity or sin, discord, confusion, and doubt. These are the things that they had to overcome so that they can continue to grow properly. But here in chapter 3, the title of our message is, is Recognizing Barriers to Growth. There were three things that were really plaguing them. <coughs> Excuse me. Three things that were plaguing them. Three things that were causing a barrier to their growth. And he calls it out right here in chapter 3. In verse 1 through 9. Worldliness. Now he uses the word carnality. And that word carnality just means flesh. Or in an easier sense, worldliness. It means you are not of the spirit or desiring and running after things of the spirit, but you are desiring things of the world. So one of the barriers to their growth was worldliness, carnality. They weren't moving on. They weren't progressing. In verses 10 through 15, it was a carelessness. They had a worldliness. Now they had a carelessness. They didn't really care about what they were building for God. They were using cheap materials, quick materials to get quick results. And lastly, verses 16 to 23, it was a lot of pridefulness in the Corinthians. They hold into this wisdom of man and thinking that people have something and putting their marbles and their boast in pure men. These things were causing a barrier to their growth. And I think that these things cause a barrier in any of our lives if we, if we, if we disregard and don't concentrate on the principles that are outlined here in this chapter. God wants us to grow and He's given us everything necessary for growth. It is our responsibility to try to wade and go past these things that want to weigh us down and hold us down and keep us back. Now notice here in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, And I, brothers, cannot speak to you as unto spiritual, or as to spiritual people. Or, in other words, is him saying, I couldn't speak to you as those that are mature. I couldn't. He says, But as to carnal, even as to babes in Christ. Now he's going back. And he's saying, I couldn't speak to you when I was first among you as if you knew the things of God, as if you were acquainted with the word of God. I couldn't do that. I had to speak to you as if you were babies. As I had to spoon feed you and break it down. And there's nothing wrong with that. He, just to make sure that you got it. It's, it's important that the teacher brings the cookies to the lower shelf. Everybody could enjoy. He says, but here's the problem. In verse 2, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto, for up to this point, you were not able to bear it, and neither yet are you now able. There's the problem. It has been quite a while since the apostle had been here with the Corinthians. He spent a year and six months there in Corinth, and then he left and went to Ephesus, according to Acts 18. And he stayed in Ephesus 
a short period of time because he wanted to go keep a feast in Jerusalem. And so he left and he went to Jerusalem. And when he got there to Jerusalem, he went back on a missionary journey and went back into Ephesus. That's modern-day Turkey. Corinth is on the, the, in the region of Greece. Is on that peninsula. And so he went to Ephesus in Acts 19. He spent a considerable amount of time in Ephesus. It's about two years teaching the word. Time has elapsed. He wasn't there with the Corinthians. The expectation is that he, he spent enough time with them that he gave them everything needed, all the tools necessary to build their lives upon the rock of Christ. But yet, now there's some issues. He hears the issues that are plaguing the church. And he comes to them and he says, I thought, at that point, I fed you with milk. When that word means fed you, that word, when it says fed you there in verse 2, that means to irrigate irrigate you, water you. That means to just provide everything necessary for you to get all the nutrients needed to grow strong. He said, I fed you. I fed you with the milk, not with meat. I didn't give you heavy things. They'll confuse you. I just gave you the basics. That means the basics, according to Hebrews chapter 5, the basics, uh, Hebrews 5 and 6, the basics are the principles of Christ. It's like staying away from sin, saying no to your former desires, pressing into the Lord, gathering with the believers. Those are just the basic things, the basic things. Spending time reading, spending time with the Lord, praying, the basic stuff. He said, I tried to keep it simple so that you could keep growing. But you you're not able to bear anything. Even if I wanted to give you something that was heavy, he says, I can't even do it. Why? He says in verse 3, for you are still carnal. You are carnal. There are two Greek words that are being used here. In verse 1, he says, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual. That Greek word is psukikos. It just speaks of someone that is of the spirit. He says, but as to carnal, that word is sarkikos. That's person that is of the flesh. They're, they're worldly. They're not growing towards the things of the spirit. This was a problem with the apostle. This was a problem with the Lord, that the Lord had with the Corinthians. You see, it, it wasn't really concentrated on how much they were growing exponentially and busting out the seams. It was the quality of them. You see, quality must always take priority over quantity, especially when we're talking about growing spiritually. Because you can memorize a number of verses, because you know the address of certain verses and you can quote and and, and do all these things, that doesn't mean that the quality of growth is there in your life. God cares about the quality. This is what the apostle is saying to the Corinthians. Look, you guys have been growing. The church is, is growing out the seams. They, they may have been that church that has four or five services on 
the day, the first day of the week on Sunday. There were so many people there in Corinth and so many believers that felt that they were gifted in the Lord and, and the quantity was there, but the quality was lacking in their growth. Worldliness was still, was still plaguing them. He says, you are still carnal. You're still worldly. This tells us right here that there's an expectation for us in Christ, that God expects us not to stay worldly. See, a lot of us will come in to the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll bring in a little bit of the world because that's all we knew. I remember when I first became a Christian, you know, I showed up there at the church with the brothers and I had the chain and I had the do-rag and I had the fitted cap and I had it cocked to the side. I still have a fitted cap now, but uh, it's not cocked to the side. And, and, you know, and I had this image that I was trying to portray with the Tims and the Carhartt jeans, and I'm like, yo, what's up, son? And I came in with a very worldly mindset. But as I was there among the believers that were trying to grow, I realized quickly that no one was staying with a carnal, worldly <coughs> mindset. No one was staying in that position. Everyone was growing. And so I had a choice. It's either I'm going to stay the way I am, worldly, the way I came in, or I'm going to change. That didn't, doesn't mean I just took that off and now I'm wearing suits. No, but that just meant that I wasn't interested in that outward stuff. I wanted more of that inward stuff that these guys were talking about. Spending time with the Lord and talking about how God is speaking to them. That's what I wanted. Paul says, you are still carnal. You're, there's, there's a lot of worldliness still in you guys. You're caring about things that the world cares about. You see, worldliness and godliness both bear fruit. Except worldliness bears an evil fruit, a bad fruit. They both are bearing fruit. It tells us in the book of James, chapter 3, and it goes well with the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. In the book of James 3, verse 14 and 15, James says to the believers here, he says, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, do not glory, do not lie against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. So look, if you're having divisions, if you're having envies and arguments, contentions and strife, then that is none other than from the, the enemy. That's not from the Lord. If you're trying to claim that you're all mature and that, you, that you're all wise, that's not from the Lord. Especially if you're, if you're concentrating on this strife and this envy and you guys are who's the best and these guys are the best. There's a problem there. In 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, he says, For where there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? It's the same thing that James was addressing in the book of James. Believers that were supposed to be godly, that were supposed to be maturing, but instead they were concentrating more on separating themselves and making a name for themselves. And that, that was the issue. That's the fruit that worldliness brings. It really puts self in the forefront. Paul nails it and says, 
if, if there is envying among you, that, that is jealousy is what he's saying. There, and this is an open jealousy. You're upset with this person because God has blessed them or they're doing this. You know, look at this guy. He thinks he's all that. You know, God, he's speaking the word of God. You know, other people can speak to him. He's not the best. If you have all that jealousy there and the strife, the arguing, the, the contentions and the, and the dividing of yourselves, he says, man, you're still carnal. And that is always a good barometer to look at when we're building something and we're involved with something for the Lord, as if we are just in it only for ourselves and we constantly got to put ourselves in the forefront and we got to put other people down, that it might be a good it might be a very good inclination that, that something there is, is not growing properly. Paul says, you guys are walking as men. Now, he's not saying that they're not men right here, but he's speaking of a, a worldly man. In fact, right here at the end of chapter 2, going into chapter 3, there were three men that were mentioned. Uh, he mentions in chapter 2 about the natural man. Uh, that is chapter 2, uh, when he was speaking of the natural man doesn't have the things of the spirit. Um, that would be chapter 2, verse 14, I believe. Maybe I might need one of those Bibles that have big words. My eyes can't even see, see uh, that close. But he speaks of the natural man. He also speaks of the spiritual man and now the carnal man. The natural man would have been the unsaved man. The spiritual man would be the mature man, the mature spiritually. And the carnal man is the worldly man, the man that is not desiring for things for growth. He says, while one says in verse 4, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? It's like, now listen, this shows here the humility of our writer. He could have left his name out of there, you know, and boasted in the fact that they want to be of him. But he didn't. He said, you're saying that you're of me, and you're of this guy Apollos? Are you not carnal? Now, you would have to go back to Acts chapter 18, to read about Apollos. This was a man that was from Alexandria, not Virginia, but Alexandria in Egypt, you know, in the, in the old world. But he came to uh, Ephesus at the time, and Paul had left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. And he came there speaking the things of Christ, but he was missing some key details from his message. And Aquila and Priscilla noticed this, pulled him aside, took him into their house, shared the word of God more perfectly with them. And man, he was, he was that much of a blessing afterwards. In fact, he said, you know what? I want to go on to Corinth. I want to go on and help the believers in Corinth. And he did go and help them. And so he left and went to Corinth. And then Acts chapter 19, Paul was coming back and he went to Ephesus. And so these two guys, God was using them in different ways. He was a great speaker. He could compel you to want to do the, the principles of God, to want to walk in the ways of God, Apollos. But Paul says, you guys are saying I'm of Paul. And then some of you guys are saying I'm with Apollos. And are you not carnal? Are you not worldly? You see, this shows us what the world cares about. You see, worldliness right here, Worldliness cares all about putting other people in the forefront. That's what worldliness is about. 
Worldliness wants to elevate people. Worldliness, it takes great care to concentrate on self. You got to concentrate on yourself. And then when they find somebody that does, that does something well, the world wants to lift them up and put them on a pedestal. You always see it, right? If somebody does something well and next thing you know, they, they, they help somebody out of a river. And, you know, we're not on TV giving praise to God that this person is saved and been rescued. The first thing that they want to do is find out who did it, who, who helped them. And then when you find out who helped, you're like, yeah, this guy right here is the, look what he did. He's this, we should hold him up. We should do a parade for him. This is what the world wants to do. We, the world wants to put people on a pedestal. That's not the way of godliness. Now, there is a way to honor people in Christ. And yes, that's not ungodly. In fact, the book of 1 Thessalonians speaks to us about that, about honoring those that are laboring among you, remembering them. In the book of 1 Timothy, it mentions that also, remembering those that labor in the word. We don't want to forget uh, the people that are working and serving among us. We just read when we studied in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, to remember those that are over you in the Lord, that are watching out for your soul. That is important, to recognize them. But the world takes it to a whole other standpoint. They want to put people on a pedestal and they, and they want everybody else to idolize these people. And that's not of the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. You shouldn't be idolizing me. You shouldn't be idolizing Apollos. That's worldly. He said, are you not carnal? He says, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed. That word minister there in verse 5 is servants. That's what that means. That's where we get the English word deacon. It's like, we're just servants. And the deacon, where we get that word, comes from Acts chapter 6. These were guys that served the tables. I don't know how, throughout all the course of history, those titles have become, like, you know, magnanimous. You know, all of a sudden it's like, man, if you're called a minister, you're something. That, that title was reserved for someone that was waiting on tables. And so people are like, yeah, hold on, excuse me, that's not my name. My name is Minister such and such. Then you're a servant. Because the, the, the whole reason for the word was to be a servant that serves tables, the small things. That wasn't even, that wasn't even to the level of an apostle if there are levels. Those were the guys that were spending time in the word and in prayer and teaching the people. The deacons were just doing the, the menial task around the church. Now we say minister and deacon, and that sounds like we got some authority. Paul says, we were just ministers by whom you believed, mere servants, even as the Lord gave to every man. He said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I, I had a job. My job was to plant the word with you. Apollos came along. His job was to irrigate you and give you nutrition. Help grow you up. But really, those two guys are nothing. In fact, he says in verse 7, So then neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but God that gives the increase. You can do all the planting all you want, all the tilling. You can even do all the watering. I mean, you see it these days. I remember being one of those people when the springtime came. I was in Maryland. I just wanted this grass to have the greenest verdure. Of, of all time. And so I spent time out there. 
I was tilling it. I was seeding it. I was cutting it. And you got to water it. Got to water it. And he'd be out there and he just got the sprinkler going for hours and that water bill is running up. But you desire to have green grass. Look, you could do all of that stuff, but yet we still have to rely on God to give the increase. Because we can't make that seed die and break apart in the ground and then shoot up a blade. We can't do that. Now, we're assuming that if we make the environment just right, the acidity level of the soil, the right balance of water and sun, if we do all that, that that seed will break apart and shoot a blade up. That's what we hope. But we have no control over that. It's God that gives the increase. This is what he's trying to tell them. God is the one that's giving the increase. We're, all we're doing is just planting and watering. We're just working alongside God. He says in verse 8, Now he that plants and he that waters are one. See, they're both doing the same work. Some, some people were trying to say, well, no, Paul is my guy because Paul has been here and he spent a year, six months with us, man. And I, I was with Paul. We had lunch together. This is my guy. And others are like, no, Apollos, the way he gave the messages and just he was, he was a much better speaker than Paul and all these other things. And it's like, look, it doesn't matter. Those two guys are one. We're, we're one, and every man should receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together. That word together is where we get our English word synergy. We are laborers synergizing with God. We're working with the Lord. We're not doing our own work. We're working with God. God is the one working. He says, you are God's husbandry. You are God's building. You're God's field. God is tilling you. God is working. He's, all we did was come along because he asked us to plant some more seed and he asked us to bring some more water. But he's the one that's making you grow. You see, this is the, the, the ultimate opposite of worldliness. He's putting all the focus and the credit on the Lord. They had a job and a role to play in the growth of the Corinthians. Paul and Apollos, but it was God that made them grow. It's God. That's, that's always a way to tell if you're in a healthy, sound church, is that the focus will be put back on the Lord. Yeah, you know, people will come up to you and, they, and they'll say, man, you've been such a blessing to me, and that's true. Man, you, you've always looked out for me. That's true as well. But remember, the Lord is the one that's keeping you, not me. And when you're in a church like that, where people put you onto the Lord and they point you towards the Lord consistently and constantly and regularly, then you're in the right place because they know that it's not them that's keeping you. It's the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. The Lord is keeping you. So these Christians here were suffering from worldliness. Now, some people would say, well, is that person that's worldly, that, that Christian that's carnal, is he really a Christian? Some people might ask that question. Is he really a Christian then? If he still looks like the world, talks like the world, acting like he's of the world, but he's still talking about he's a believer and still hanging out with the believers, but he's looking worldly. Does, is he still a Christian? I like the way Alan Redpath put it. He said, the carnal Christian is a child of God, born again and on his way to heaven. But he's traveling third class. He's not traveling first class 
or not even in the business class. He's traveling third class. He's down with the luggage. See, he could be up with everybody else and experiencing this journey towards the celestial city, towards this city, this time where we'll spend time with the Lord in eternity. He could be doing it the right way, enjoying it with others going the right way, but instead he wants to hang out there in the luggage where it's cold and there's, there's no climate control and yeah, there's actually no seats. and you, That's where he wants to hang out. He's still on the plane. He's still going. But his experience is just terrible. Now, this is something for us to pay attention to, just to ensure that this is not a barrier in our lives, that we are drifting and leaning towards worldly things. You know, the things of this world should grow dim in the light of our glorious Savior. And the more time that we spend with Him, the, the more dimmer the things of the world should become to us, the, the more distasteful they should become. We're not desiring the same things, uh, all the salacious stuff that is in the entertainment. We don't want those things. We desire the things of the Lord. We have a distaste for it. But don't, listen, don't get me wrong. The flesh, spiritually speaking, the flesh is always waiting to regain the Lordship in your life and in my life. And so don't think for one minute that you have 15 years, you've been walking with the Lord, and all of a sudden you don't have a desire for the things of the Lord. Like, I don't care about that stuff. All you need is five minutes with it, indulging. And you'll be right back in there because the flesh wants to take over. It's always there. Paul says, listen, guys, don't concentrate on us. A barrier to you growing is because you're focusing with this carnal mindset, looking at mere men. And so he says, according to the grace of God, which is given to me in verse 10, he says, as a wise master builder. I love how he says that there, according to the grace of God that is given to me. Notice he didn't put it on himself. He's concentrating on what, the, what God is doing through him and in him. He says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let every man take heed how he builds upon it. As a wise master builder, according to God's grace, I have laid the foundation. That word master builder can be translated architect. He went into this like an architect there in Corinth. I tried to use wisdom of the Spirit to build a foundation for you guys. An architect is looking at everything, trying to make sure that this structure would not collapse, that this structure would be sturdy. This is what Paul said he did among the Corinthians. He said, I laid the foundation, but every man must take heed, not what he builds upon it, but how he builds upon it. There's the key how he builds on it. He says, for no other foundation can a man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You can't lay anything else. Jesus is already there. He's the platform, the podium. Now, where, now how you build upon him, that's up to you. Now, let me just tell you this, that each thing that we do, each decision that we make is a work that we are building upon Jesus Christ. 
This is why a Christian has to be very careful in his decisions, methodical in his choices, because every step that we take, every action that is made, every decision that is implemented is a building block upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your works. It's what God is going to judge when we stand before him, what we did for him, how we lived for him, what we said for him. All these things are going to be taken into light. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that the believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged, not judged in terms of salvation. We already have that. It's secured. But we will be judged according to our actions, our decisions, what we did. This is why the apostle hears that every man needs to take heed how he builds upon this foundation of Christ. How you're building. Question I ask you is, how are you building? Are you building with carefulness or with carelessness? He says, now, if any man builds upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, look, Basically, he's saying is that you can build different ways upon the Lord. You can implement different decisions, different actions. Everybody's not doing the same exact thing. You, you have a different life, then this person has a different life. You're going to go and do different things and go different paths. But listen, don't choose the things that are cheap. Don't choose the things that are fleeting. Don't choose the things that give quick results. When you think of gold, silver, precious stones, in my mind, and I hope in your mind, I think of work. I think of labor. Because in order to get that gem, in order to get that gold, in order to get that, you got to mine. You got to go and, and mine. You got to put some effort in. You got to put some work. But when you use those types of materials that are expensive, that are lasting, when you use those types of materials, your structure is more sturdy. It's not bound to fall over. But when you use the wood, hay, and stubble, it can be burned up quickly. It can rot. These are things that the stones are not doing. But when you use the wood, hay, and the stubble, you can get something going really, really quick. It can look really good. But it's not quality. This is what we have to think about. All the decisions that we make in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the choices and the actions that we're taking, is it akin to wood, hay, and stubble? Yeah, it looks good immediately, but it's not lasting. It'll burn up quickly. It'll crumble. But is it gold? Is it silver? Is it the, the stone that lasts? Did you, did you mine it? This... When you just think about gold, silver, precious stones, I think of methodical approach. You are thinking about this. You don't want this to be something that doesn't last. And so he says, every man's work shall be made manifest or revealed, for the day shall declare it. The day is speaking about that day we stand before the Lord. It shall make it very clear, your work. It says, because it should be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try, it shall test every man's work of what sort it is. So we can do all these things down here, make all these decisions down here, all these choices down here, run through all these actions down here, but then when we get up there, that's when it's going to determine if that was really good or if it was really foolish. You know, like those, 
those ten bridesmaids there that were waiting for the bridegroom to come. Five of them were wise. Five of them were foolish. Matthew chapter 25. Five took oil. Five didn't take oil. And when the bridegroom came, they had no oil. And they asked the other five, hey, can I get some of your oil? We don't have enough oil for you. <coughs> they were foolish in the sense that they weren't prepared. They didn't think it through. They didn't make wise choices. And when we get up there, that fire is going to try every man's work. Now, I don't know if this is a physical flame or is this, if this is just speaking of a figurative flame of the Lord just looking and examining our lives, maybe on a flat screen, just like, yeah, that was a bad choice. We don't know what it is. But what he does tell us here is that if any man's work abides, which he has built upon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. That means you will lose. That's what that word suffer loss means. You will lose out. But he himself, notice the key, key part of that verse, he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. That means, look, he's, the guy is still going to be saved that built with the wood, hay, and stubble. You're still going to be saved. That's not based on your works. Okay, but the enjoyment of, of, of just receiving that crown that we're going to throw back to the Lord and say, Lord, it was you. It wasn't me, Lord. Yes. That guy right there, he won't have anything to throw back. Because none of his works made it. He says that he'll make it in, but as by fire, almost like patting himself. Like, whoa, that was close. I almost didn't make it in. Because of my salvation, I didn't work, I didn't build upon it. I didn't use it. And so we got to be careful. So here's the thing. We must be very careful. That the work that we are building now doesn't sabotage the experience that we could have then. This, this is why we have to be wise and circumspect according to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. We got to be circumspect, walking accurately, carefully, so that we can build gems. We hope that when we get to heaven, it's like, all right, Lord, here's what I did for you. And then it all goes through his his test, his, his fire. And at last, all that was good. It was for me. You did it with a right heart. You did it with good motives, right intentions. Yes. Welcome into my presence. Give him five crowns. Oh, yes, I'm throwing these back to the Lord, man. This is the Lord. This is what we want. We want to think rightly. We, we need to not be worldly and we need we need not to be careless either and he says do you not know that you are the temple of god and that the spirit of god dwells in you he's telling the corinthians that listen you collectively are the temple of god now the word temple there in the greek is the word uh, naos and it's not speaking of the temple building but it's speaking of the inner the inner most holy place that's what he's talking about he says, do you not know you're that most holy place of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. 
If any man defiles that most holy place where the Holy Spirit is residing, he's saying, if you defile it with worldliness, if you defile it with carelessness, if you defile it with pridefulness, you got to be careful because you are going to answer to that. And so he's telling the Corinthians, be careful what you're doing, guys. You can destroy the work of God. I love how D.L. Moody once said that each convert should be weighed as well as counted. Most of the times we're just trying to count the quantity. Oh, yeah, God did a great work. Look how many people. That's not what he said. They need to be weighed also. Is this really a believer? Is this, was this really a work of God? Each of that should be counted and weighed. And I love how Chuck Swindoll said that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the person that has it. These guys were in here and they were, they were full of themselves. And so Paul says in verse 18, let no man deceive himself. Notice he didn't say, let no man deceive others. He said, don't let anybody deceive himself. That's what pride has a tendency to do. You know, the middle letter in pride is I. It just concentrates on self, the promotion of self. He says, let no man deceive himself. You don't make the whole body of Christ sick and defiling it. Because you're, you're prideful and you're worldly and you're careless. He says, for the wisdom... He says, if any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. This is another great paradox in the scripture. A paradox is something that is confusing. It doesn't make sense. It seems like two statements are contrary to one another. Here we have the paradox. If any man seems to be wise, let him become a fool that he may be wise. How can you be a fool and be wise at the same time? That doesn't really makes sense in our finite minds. But what he is saying here is getting rid of the, the wisdom of the world. He says in verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness. It's moronic. It's stupid. It is absurd. Illogical. It's foolishness with God. It's, it's so sad that when the world is, when the Christians are trying to take in worldly philosophy and trying to bring it into our Christianity, and we, we're trying to be like the world, of the world. That doesn't make sense. It's foolishness, it says, to God. God doesn't need, God doesn't want worldly philosophy, worldly wisdom, worldly influence. God doesn't want any of that stuff in his church with his believers. He doesn't want it. <clears throat> so we, we have to take great care not to bring in worldly worldly things he says it's foolishness for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God as it is written he takes the wise in their own craftiness and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are vain he quotes two verses there the book of Job chapter 5 verse 13 and then he quotes Psalm 94 11 and he, he caps it off in verse 21 and says, Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. The, again, he's, he's trying to help the believers with this division. 
Don't boast about and boast in mere men. Speaking of himself and Apollos, don't boast of those. This is all things are yours. Everything belongs to you. You don't even need to elevate this thing over here because you think that you can't attain and there's no need to. God has already blessed you with everything. Just as it tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Not some, but all. God has blessed us with all. Same words that he used there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, that in everything that you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. He didn't cut you short. God gave you everything that was necessary. You don't need to be putting your marbles in the basket of just this person, that person, this doctrine, that doctrine, this tradition, that tradition, this denomination, that denomination. We need to just trust the Lord. God has given us everything. He says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or of the world, life or death, or things present, things that come, everything is yours. He says, it's all yours. The people that God has used in your life is for you. God has already given you these people to bless you, to help you. It's yours. You have everything that is needed. You're not lacking. So stop acting like there is some hidden wisdom. There's some other things that you need to be concentrating on. Trust the Lord. He says, and you are Christ and Christ is God. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God, the Father. That's who he's talking about here. These barriers to growth were plaguing the Corinthians. They are plaguing the church today. We have a lot of worldliness in the body of Christ. We have a lot of carelessness, lack of thinking and thought when it comes to making decisions and actions because every action is building upon Christ. It's a lot of pride, a lot of pridefulness we're bringing into the body of Christ, deceiving ourselves, thinking that we're wise. We have to be careful. God wants us to grow. He expects us to grow. And don't, wouldn't we hate to stand before the Lord in the end and think that we did all that stuff for those 35 years or whatever for the Lord and it was all for nothing. Everything gets burned up. That would be very disheartening. So we have a chance right now to think about our actions, to think about our decisions. We have a chance to alter our course. Will you alter your course? Will you remove the barriers to growth? We would like for you to stay in touch and up to date with us. Follow us on Twitter at cc underscore Valdosta and visit our website at ccvaldosta.weebly.com for additional information about Calvary Chapel Valdosta and an archive of previous sermons. You can reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. Calvary Chapel Valdosta is a fellowship of believers committed to the study of the Word of God and seeking the things that are Jesus Christ's. Let us now end in prayer. Let's pray together. I thank you, Lord, for these words. I thank you for chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. 
the practical things that you give us, Lord. Will you help us to steer clear of carnality, Lord? We need, we need to steer clear, Lord. We're not just desiring the deep things and the meaty things, Lord, but we, we do want to move on to comparing spiritual things and thinking about the things that you want us to do and how we could take this mountain for the Lord. That's what we want to make up all of our thoughts and ambitions. We need you, Lord. We want to build upon you with the right material. But we don't want to be looking at ourselves. We want to boast about what you are doing, what you have done, what you will do. Lord, that is our heart. It's our desire. And so I pray today that you can help every person here to walk in these principles, to walk in these truths, and that the cookies will be found on the lower shelf where we could all enjoy the things that you freely have given to us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.